Armoire makes getting dressed easy. With a clothing rental membership from Armoire, build the perfect wardrobe with brands that are high quality, unique, and recommended just for you. All you have to do is take a five-minute style quiz and select items from your dynamic, personalized closet. The styles show up at your door in as little as two days. Then when you're ready for new clothes, just swap them out for more new-to-you styles. My favorite thing about Armoire is all the different style and occasion options from casual to athleisure to night out, work formal, work casual, a total of eight different occasions, three weather options, and 11 categories including accessories, outerwear, and blazers, just to name a few. With Armoire, you can always have something new to wear without the hassle and closet clutter. You know the feeling. You open your closet, it's full, but you have quite literally nothing to wear. You're bored with everything in there. Enter Armoire. Armoire allows you to rent high-quality designer clothes for every occasion. Whether you're planning your outfit for date night, packing for a conference, or in need of a gown for a black tie event, you will be the best-dressed person in the room. Right now, my listeners can give Armoire a try and get up to 50% off the first month. That's up to $125 off. Just visit armoire.style slash parenting. That's armoire.style. A-R-M-O-I-R-E dot style slash parenting to get up to 50% off your first month and never worry about what to wear again. Try Armoire today. Hello, everyone, and welcome to the Your Village podcast, Parenting Beyond Discipline, the place to learn about all things parenting and get your questions answered. I'm your host, Erin Royer. Again, as a reminder, in case you missed last week's episode, I'm still happily married, but we realize the hyphenated name may be a little too long and complicated, so I decided to just go by my maiden name for professional purposes. So today is the first day of school here in our neighborhood, so this morning I dropped off my new second grader and my new kindergartners. My babies are starting kindergarten. I can't believe it. I don't know where the time went. So I'm sure lots of my listeners here in the Northern Hemisphere who have kids in these school ages have either already started sending kids back to school or are getting ready to send kids back to school. And we'll soon be dealing with those realizations as we get every day that their kids are just growing up too fast. But on to this week's topic. This week, I'm talking about power struggles. These are a common everyday occurrence in families that start as early as 18 months, sometimes even a few months earlier, and go all the way through the teenage years. So it's important to know what they are, recognize them when they occur, and know how to handle them well. Not just because they're so common, but because when handled well, you will see and experience a lot fewer of them over the years. So what is a power struggle? Obviously, we all know what it is, but just so that we're all on the same page, I'll share my definition of a power struggle as it relates to the parent-child relationship. A power struggle is an exchange where both participants are determined to win. The outcome of such a struggle means that in order for one person to win, the other must lose. This hurts the relationship, which really means that everyone loses. If you are feeling provoked, challenged, or threatened, 
and tend to react by pushing back harder and thinking things like, I will make you or I will win, you're engaging in a power struggle. So here are some examples. Your child refuses to do his homework. You find yourself getting worked up. You know it is important not only to be in a good habit for homework, but also because your child has a test tomorrow and it will affect his grade. He digs in and says, no, he doesn't want to, doesn't feel like it. You find yourself thinking, how can I make this kid sit down and do the work? This is a power struggle. It can escalate to a parent screaming, yelling, and threatening, and the child very begrudgingly plopping down and so angry that he barely accomplishes anything. Or the child continues to refuse and storms off, and the parent is left feeling defeated. Or your child refuses to eat his vegetables. Parent again screams, yells, or threatens, and may say something like, you will eat your vegetables, or you will not watch TV for a week. Or a parent of a toddler tries to coerce the youngster to put on a pair of shoes. The child continues to ignore the parent and run around laughing. Parent is now getting very frustrated and feels like she either has to give in to her child's whim to stay at the park or forcibly grab her child and shove the shoes on her feet, knowing that if that happens, they will both be angry, hurt, and frustrated with one another. As you know, power struggles suck. Why do kids do this? Why can't they just be compliant and easy? Why are some kids easier than others? just in general. First, it's important that our kids have this spirit. I'm not saying it's okay to be rude or disrespectful, but that need to push for independence that is behind a power struggle is the good piece. We don't want our kids to go through life as doormats. We want them to have their own ideas, desires, dreams, and goals, and to have the courage and drive to achieve them. This is crucial to the development of self. I share this to help with framing. Reframing is a term we use in psychology for seeing a situation in a different light, from a different perspective. So first, we reframe the situation, that our child's drive and interest in sharing his or her own ideas are good. However, we need to work with them on appropriate times, ways, and places to share these ideas. Also, I want to touch on why some kids are overall more compliant and agreeable. And this has to do with their individual temperament. There are nine traits to temperament, and several of these affect the levels of independence, ambition, and motivation, and even just general attitude. These are things like level of persistence and general mood, among others. For more on temperament and how to understand and work with your child's temperament, I have a very comprehensive class on the website at yourvillageonline.com, but you also can learn some basics about temperament by listening to episode number nine, your child's unique temperament. I also would recommend listening to the episode on dealing with disrespectful behavior, episode number 15, for some real concrete tips on teaching respectful ways of communicating and nipping that disrespectful exchange in the bud. And that is a nice compliment to the material I will cover here on power struggles. So first, I'm going to discuss some guidelines for engagement. Remember, a power struggle is when two people get into an exchange where both participants are determined to win. In power struggle situations, parents tend to step up and engage in the struggle, thereby sending the message, 
I will struggle with you. The parent gets overly focused on the child's behavior and forcing the child to change his or her behavior. But it's important to remember that a struggle takes two. However, we only have control over one. Guess which one that is? That's right, ourselves. The message we want to send is, I will not struggle with you. We do not go down to our child's level. We must step out of the struggle, step above the struggle. And this is huge because it deflates it. The parent is calmer and we're in a place to be ready to use better ways of handling these situations. So when it comes to power struggles, prevention is key. And there are many tools you can use to step out of these struggles and prevent them in the first place. And I'll cover a couple of them including sharing a recent experience I had with my seven-year-old that was admittedly a tough one. He pushed back pretty hard and I had to stand my ground. So the first tool for prevention is contribution. Contribution gives children jobs related to the task to get them positively engaged. It also has the added benefit of increasing your child's self-esteem through feeling needed. A child should feel like, wow, these people really need me. I do so much. These are things like giving your child items to find and pick out at the grocery store. It turns the dynamic around and prevents potential struggles because your child will be engaged in helping find and gather food rather than begging for treats or running amok in the store. You can find and offer contribution options for almost any situation. When leaving the park, they can help carry things to the car or unlock the car doors. At bedtimes, they can put their favorite stuffed lovey to bed, brushing their teeth and tucking them in, or contribute by getting their own toothbrush ready or picking out clothes for the next day. The options are practically endless. So on the webpage for this podcast at yourvillageonline.com slash podcast, and then you can choose the link for this episode, number 26, Power Struggles. There's a worksheet called Identifying Contributions, where you can think of your common times of power struggles with your kids, and then come up with some ways your child can contribute to the task where you would normally have a struggle. And this way, you'll be armed and ready the next time that situation comes up. Also, it's important to take the help however it comes. If your child isn't doing a great job, do not correct or fix it. Find something nice to say. Otherwise, you may squash your child's desire to help in the future. You can teach him how to do things better the next time, but you want your child to want to help, which overrides him having to do it correctly. To me, there is nothing more important than my family's health and well-being. We all know the quality of the air in our home is important. But did you know indoor air quality can be up to 100 times dirtier than outdoor air? I've got to tell you about Puro Air. In 30 minutes, this device will remove allergens, dust, smoke, dander, and gases from the room. Puro Air uses a stronger filter called a HEPA-14 that filters pollutants at a microscopic level and is backed by scientists from Harvard and MIT. In laboratory studies, users saw noticeably cleaner air in just 30 minutes. When it comes to babies and children, there's nothing worse than dealing with a cranky baby or child who can't sleep because of congestion. 
air purifiers can help reduce congestion and improve immune system function to fight those winter colds and flus. I use my Puro Air purifiers to clean the air in my home, especially in our bedrooms while we sleep. It has a quiet, relaxing hum and cleans the air from pet dander, allergens, viruses, dust, mold, odors, and contaminants. It has four levels, low, medium, high, and sleep, and four different timer options so you can customize it to your home and your needs. Check out Puro Air at getpuroair.com. That's G-E-T. P-U-R-O-A-I-R dot com. Puro Air is the only air filter that uses a HIPAA 14 filter. That's getpuroair.com. Hey, Parenting Beyond Discipline listeners. Ready to create a home that fosters love, warmth, and style? Look no further than Home Threads, your partner in crafting a nurturing environment. At HomeThreads.com, explore a thoughtfully curated collection of furniture designed for families who believe in positive parenting. From cozy reading nooks to durable playroom essentials, our pieces are crafted to enhance your parenting journey. Home Threads has an incredible selection of furniture, decor, and accessories like throw pillows, blankets to snuggle under for family movie nights or reading time that helps you create the warm, cozy home that is the foundation for happy family memories. I love all the great pieces I've gotten from Home Threads to finish the look in my home. Gorgeous yet durable and cozy accent throw pillows, blankets, and some really cute wall decor. I have an ocean theme throughout my downstairs, so I got a couple of really great wall pieces to finish that look. And some picture frames for the family photos. Visit homethreads.com parenting today and get a code for 15% off your order. That's homethreads.com parenting parenting to get your code for 15% off your order because great parenting deserves a great home. Home threads. Love where you live. Another good tool for prevention is choices, and I've discussed choices in several episodes already, including episode number 23 on positive discipline, so you can go back and listen to that one as well. But just in general, with toddlers and preschoolers, Offer lots of choices as often as you can. You can make the choices fun, such as do you want to hop or skip to your room? Or do you want to quack like a duck or growl like a tiger while we strap you into your car seat? The way you use choices changes as they age. And choices is a great tool for kids from toddlerhood all the way up through age 10 and 11. And they're important because they give your child a feeling of control. Giving your child control in these little ways, wherever you can, will help your child feel less of a need to butt up against you when she doesn't have a choice about what is happening. I also cover choices in-depth in the Discipline Tools classes, Discipline Tools for Toddlers, Discipline Tools for Preschoolers, and Discipline Tools for Elementary Age Kids, all available on the site at yourvillageonline.com under the Discipline section. So on to my experience last month, and I will share my insight about what I did wrong, what I could have done much better in order to prevent the power struggle in the first place. I just shared these great prevention tools with you, and I have many more prevention tools along with ways to deal with the power struggle when it happens on the class and the website. But if I would have used my own prevention tools, I could have circumvented this whole meltdown power struggle. So I was shopping for food for our upcoming summer trip. I had all three kids with me and we were at a store called Trader Joe's. And if you have those in your area, you know them well, but they offer lollipops for kids at the checkout with parental permission. 
The kids had asked before we went in if they could get a lollipop that day, and I said yes. So we're in the checkout, and the kids went over to the kids' corner with the books and crayons and the funhouse-type mirror while I was checking out. I look over, and the kids are all pushing on each other shoulder to shoulder and basically getting physical in front of the mirror and trying to push one another out of the way. They're all in playful ways, but I just felt it wasn't appropriate. And I know how quickly these types of behaviors escalate and turn into full-on wrestling and physical play. And invariably, someone always gets hurt. So what should I have done? I should have figured out a way to have them contribute, or at least one or two of them, in the checkout process. Help me run the debit card or count the apples to make sure I got enough. Something, anything. But what did I do? I laid down a consequence. And I always say that consequences should be a last resort. And I certainly didn't even try to give the other tools a try. I went straight to consequences. And I talk about that and why in the discipline tools classes about why they should be a last resort and then when you use them, how to use them most effectively. So I didn't follow my own advice. So I went straight to the consequence and laid it down. If I see you pushing each other again, you will not get a lollipop. And I made them repeat it so I knew they heard and understood. What did I just say? What happens if you do it again? Okay. So what happened? Yep, exactly. I look over not 30 seconds later and the two boys are again shoulder to shoulder pushing each other away from the mirror. So we leave and only my daughter gets her lollipop. Oh my goodness. The boys were so mad. Carter, the seven-year-old, got in front of the cart and wouldn't let me take it to the car. You'd think I ripped the head off of his favorite stuffed toy. That's not fair! Full of tears, so angry, yelling at me. But I had to stay firm. I laid down the consequence. I knew if they were going to trust any future consequence and not think that a full-blown meltdown was going to help them get their way, I had to stick by it. I gave you a consequence. I have to stick by it. What kind of a mom would I be? How would you believe me next time if I didn't stand by my word? Chandler is crying and upset. It's not fair. Carter is angry, not letting me pass and yelling how mad he is and how mean I am and how unfair I am. Oh, man, a total scene right outside of Trader Joe's. And this lady walks up to me and says to my kids, you have an awesome mom. She's got tears in her eyes. She obviously heard the whole exchange. And she turns to me and says, you're doing a great job. Keep it up. Very sweet of her. I then have to tell Carter if he doesn't move, I'm just going to have to pick up the groceries out of the cart and carry them to the car. Now, obviously right here, we are engaged in a full-on power struggle. I have to stay on my ground. I have to stay above it. I don't get angry. Everything is very matter of fact. I start to do that, pick up the groceries, and he moves out of the way and lets me pass. Thank goodness, because I had a lot of groceries that I wasn't sure how I was going to get them all to the car in one trip. But yes, that was a power struggle. It's the worst we've probably ever had. While I was unable to deflate it immediately, I didn't add fuel by butting heads or taking him on. I just calmly stated that I wasn't going back on the consequence, so I just waited out for him to calm down so we could carry on with our day. But I also was able to show my kids that I mean business. I mean what I say, 
And the next time I feel I need to give a consequence, and hopefully I'll work through the other tools first instead of getting impatient and going right to throwing down that consequence. But when I do feel like I need that tool and I do use it, they will hopefully remember this last time it happened, take it seriously, and really consider their choices and outcome seriously. Okay, so now I have a couple of questions that I need to answer to get caught up that have come in in the last couple weeks. The first question comes from Tom. My nine-year-old daughter is in general a very sweet girl who makes good choices. However, when she makes a bad choice, she tends to say how dumb she is, hits herself on the head, and is very hard on herself. We've never called her these things, and I'm not sure where it comes from. I worry about her self-image when she acts this way. But any other time, she is smiling and being fun-loving nine-year-old. She's kind of shy, but can be as goofy and spirited as anyone when she lets herself be. Any help is appreciated. Love the podcast. Wish it were around nine years ago. So, Tom, I'm really glad you're enjoying the podcast, and there's lots of great information still to be gained. Nine years old is still a very young age, very influential, lots of great things you can do as you continue her on her journey to adulthood. So I'm so glad you asked this question because it is very common for girls, especially to see their self-esteem peak at age nine. So I love that you're seeing and noticing this behavior and want to help her turn that around. So first, if you haven't already, go back and listen to the two episodes on self-esteem. The two episodes on self-esteem, episode number two, and then episode number six is on praise and why not to do that and what to do instead. And those two episodes have some basic and background information, and they're a good solid place to start. If you've listened to them already, great. I'll just reiterate a few important points from those that can be helpful and then move on to share material that is specific to this situation. So first, true self-esteem comes from three places. And this comes from the self-esteem episode, number two. And I shared that we want our kids to have true self-esteem, not inflated self-esteem. Higher is not always better. The true self-esteem comes from a feeling of being needed and wanted, and it sounds like you're a loving, caring family. So this is probably being covered more than adequately already. A feeling of accomplishment and mastery. This is growth in skills and abilities, whether they be scholastic, extracurricular, or life skills such as cooking, cleaning, taking on personal responsibility for self or others, such as packing on lunches, taking care of pets, helping with household tasks, etc. And then the third is having an effect on the world around us. And this can come from many places, including just being a contributing family member around the house. It also can come from helping a friend or volunteering for those in need. So take some inventory of how your daughter may see herself in these areas of feeling needed and wanted, of her accomplishments, and having an effect on the world around her. Now, this is not how you see her, although that's a helpful place to start. But what really matters is how she views herself and her own competencies. If you think she doesn't see her value realistically, in other words, she's more skilled, more helpful, a better friend and family member than she views herself to be, you can support her in seeing herself more realistically by pointing out what a good friend and family member is and why and how the dog relies on her to get fed and cared for or how you rely on her and how she makes your life better because she takes on jobs around the house, that kind of thing. If you think she's lacking in some of these areas, you can help her increase those by giving her tasks to complete that are age appropriate 
and at which she can be successful, like feeding pets, emptying the dishwasher, helping with a weekend chore like cleaning the garage or gardening, and let her know how much her help is appreciated, but by using encouragement rather than praise, which is exactly what I covered in episode number six. As you may also remember from episode two, it is very common for girls' self-esteem to peak around age nine. And this is scary, I know. So I'm happy to hear that you're noticing her behavior and concerned and wanting to help her work on this. There are so many places that this comes from. A lot of it is societal, media, just basically a lot of bad patterns that are still very prevalent in modern thinking about girls and women. They're changing, but like everything, it just takes time. But with your solid support, you can be the antidote to a lot of this. So what you're witnessing is what we call negative self-talk. It's that stuff like, I'm stupid. I suck at math. This problem is too hard. I can't get it. Nobody likes me. I'm worthless, useless, that kind of thing. So when you hear it, you want to challenge it every time. So here are the steps. When you hear her say these things or do these things, give empathy for what she's experiencing. You look really frustrated. That problem must be hard. Give a specific, concrete example of a previous success. Remember last week when you worked hard and solved the math problems all on your own? And then three, work on skill building and resilience. Let's work on every other problem together. Do what you can, and then I can help you finish up the part you're struggling with. You can help her break down the tasks and to get through the problem. If the struggle is over friendships or other areas, you can still support in these same ways by using empathy, sharing a prior success in friendship, or talking about a friend who really does appreciate her, and then help her problem-solve ways to fix that current situation or struggle with her friend. The class on Self-Esteem 5 Plus also covers tons of ways to support children and providing opportunities to build true, solid self-esteem. So if you want some more tools for that area, you can check out that class on the site. And the other thing is to watch out for your own or any other adults in the home who may be engaging in negative self-talk about themselves because that can spill over. I remember one time looking in the mirror and making a face and a comment about my belly as I pinched my belly fat. I looked over and my then two-year-old daughter was watching me very intently. Eesh, I cringed. I realized how careful I needed to be in that moment. I definitely don't want her picking up on that kind of talk or thoughts about herself. The world will be hard enough on her. I want her to love herself for all of her amazing attributes and some belly fat or struggles with a math problem or a fight with a friend does not take away from anyone's self-worth or their strengths. So I hope this helps and I'm glad you're enjoying the podcast. So unfortunately, this last answer took a little longer than I thought. So I'll get to Daisy's question about her nine-year-old's tantrums in next week's episode. In the next episode, I'm going to cover some great information on bullying. Kids are starting back to school and some parents may be having some concerns about bullying or may just want to know about it so they can be prepared. Many times adults think what is bullying is actually not, and other times adults will dismiss behavior as 
kids being kids when it actually is bullying and very damaging, not just to the victim, but to those who witness it and to the school culture as a whole. So I will cover what bullying is, what it isn't, and some ways to deal with it both at home and through the school if you are seeing any incidences. If you have a question, please be sure to send it to podcast at yourvillageonline.com. As always, if you like what you're hearing, I'd love a review on iTunes. We're also now on Google Play. If there's a topic you'd like to hear or something you think we can do better, please send your feedback to podcast at yourvillageonline.com as well. Thanks for listening and see you next time.